So who is Jesus? Maybe that's kind of an elementary question to ask in church. We've only had about 2,000 years that we've been trying to figure this out. Who is Jesus? Maybe you think of Jesus, you know, Jesus is a great moral teacher. Maybe Jesus is um, a, a person with an especially close relationship with God. Maybe Jesus is God in the flesh. There's so many things we can say about Jesus. So many things that are important to know about Him. And in today's text, though, I think there is something that we ought to think of right at the center of who Jesus is. And it's not even really something Jesus directly says about Himself. It's actually something that Jesus' opponents said about Him. Jesus says, how shall I compare this generation? They're like petulant children who at one moment want you to, to laugh and be merry, at another moment want to cry. And those of you who have children, and we just kind of saw it, it's never at the right time. <laughs> uh, you've been there. It's great. I love the sound of children. Don't, don't, uh, don't take it that way. But... Uh, but it's never at the right time. And, and so there's like, he's like children who said, you know, John came and he was this ascetic guy and he did everything right and you said he is a demon, he's out of his mind. And then Jesus came and they said, oh, this Jesus. You know, we thought John was crazy over here, but he's crazy over here. And, and you know something? He goes and he eats and he drinks and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Can you believe it? You'd think Jesus would have better taste. But somehow we find that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners. I was reading this week about what that word sinner means. Uh, that's a word that I, I suspect none of you would want me to come write down. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the, the YouTube video of the preacher who comes down and he like berates all the members of his congregation. I'm not going to do that today. You should be glad. No, uh, <laughs> that's not my style. But he goes, can you imagine if someone came to you and said, you are a sinner? How many of you would be like, oh, that's a good idea. No, <laughs> You know, and I thought, what does that mean? We use that word, and it's always so, like, you can't say sinner happy. And I read what that meant, and that word sinner doesn't just mean someone who breaks the rules. It doesn't just mean it is someone, is literally what they've done is they've taken the word sin, and they've made it an identity. That is the identity of these people. They are sinners. That is how the good people know them. Sinners in the first century Jewish world, they were not just those who did wrong. They were those who were outside the community. To, to be a sinner meant that you didn't follow the, the law that, Moses, that God gave Moses. And there's lots of reasons for that. Some, it was because of their occupation. Uh, for example, people who worked with animal skins, they were called sinners because of their job. Uh, there were also uh, people who, you know what? And you and I know people like this. Maybe you are that person. If they felt so beat down by the rules, they just gave up. Do you know anyone like that? Maybe that's you today. That you're like, there are just so many rules and I give up, I cannot follow them. Sinners. 
And then there are the ones, there are the Gentiles. In fact, in Galatians 2, I love what Paul says. He says, we are by birth Jewish and not Gentile sinners. All of us who are Gentiles, they called us sinners. And it is these people that Jesus is a friend to. It is these people who, who are drawn to Jesus And do you want to know the good news this morning? If Jesus can be a friend to sinners, to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the alienated, that means Jesus can be a friend to you and me. You're like, wait, I'm sorry. But think about it. Alienated. Bible tells us that from the beginning, you and I were created to be in close relationship with God and one another. And then it doesn't take a little while, it just takes about three pages, three chapters in your Bible. Then we get to Genesis 3, and somehow it all goes sideways. Uh, somehow, the one thing God did not tell them, told them they could not do, that's what they did. Not to give away the rest of the story. They did that, that one thing. And, uh, and, and what happened was at that moment, that relationship between God and people was broken. Because they no longer trusted God to provide for them. They wanted to be like God. And so they somehow separated themselves from God and from God's rule in their life. And you know, they also separated themselves from one another I think the Bible's actually kind of funny, but one of the things, the funniest thing is in Genesis 3. Actually, Genesis, when Genesis 2, uh, 2 where, where um, God creates Eve for Adam, his response is like, look at this, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, we are one. Genesis 3, God says to Adam, did you do that one thing I told you not to do? Any of you remember the response? That woman, you gave me. She made me do this. Alienation. From God and from one another. Have you ever had that sense in your life that you might be alienated? That somehow you are separated from the person that God wants you to be? Maybe you're separated from others and you used to have a great relationship with them, but somehow something happened and now you two won't talk to each other. That becomes our human nature. That no matter how much we try, somehow there is that power in us that St. Paul tells us in Romans It's like the things we want to do, we can't do, and the things we don't want to do, we do. Alienation. And you know, some of us, we try to cover it up. We try to cover it up. We try to pretend everything's okay. But deep down, we know that there's somehow we're separated from the person that God wants us to be. And we wonder if there's any hope. Now Jesus then, immediately following our passage, he tells the story of a woman 
for whom there is very little hope. If you've got your Bible still open, you can look there, starting at verse 36, going through 50. Jesus then goes and is at dinner with the Pharisees, with one of the Pharisee leaders. Jesus does not just have dinner with the sinners and tax collectors, also with the Pharisees. Jesus is a friend to all the kinds of sinners. And in fact, you know, when you have dinner in the ancient world, it's a sign. You go into someone's house, it is a sign you are their friend, and if you eat with them, it's a sign that you're family. So Jesus is here with this tax collector, and all of a sudden, in walks this woman. We don't know her name. We don't know where she's from. But we know one thing about her. We know she's a sinner. We know she's one of these outcasts. We know she's one of these people that the good people don't associate with. If you're like me, your mind is spinning with all the possibilities of how she is a sinner. But she comes, and she comes, and, and, and at great risk to both her and Jesus, she lets down her hair and wipes his feet. She is very close and intimate with Jesus. And the good people are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, we thought you had better taste than this. Or like, he says, he thinks, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of person she is. She's someone who is outcast. She is someone who everybody knows her problems and her business. Have you ever been there where you've done something and you just couldn't hide it and everyone found out? How do people look at you? This is actually a true story. My last congregation had a woman and, and she came to our church. She came to our church because no other church would have her. She had done something. It wasn't right. She knew it wasn't right. And it was very public. She was fairly high profile in our community. And she said she went to another church. This is a true story. She said during the service at this other church, someone leaned over and whispered into her ear, You're going to hell for what you've done. She didn't go back to that church. And I thought about that. And I wonder if that's what this woman was used to hearing. You're going to hell for what you've done. But what does Jesus say to her? Jesus says to her, he say, you're beyond help. Jesus says what? Forgiveness has come. Your faith has made you well. Jesus comes and gives of himself to this woman who is a sinner and makes her whole. Says, go in peace. And that is the message of Jesus. That is why Jesus had the followers who were the sinners and the tax collectors and the down and out and the people that the good people didn't associate with. But yet Jesus was friends with them because Jesus knew that all of us were in need. See, they were just the sinners who knew they were in need versus the ones who thought they could fix themselves. You and I all have that affliction, and I want to tell you, the more that I have learned about how how sin has affected my life, Somehow it has opened my heart more to others. Because the most dangerous thing that you and I can be is sadly a very common thing. That thing of thinking, well, sinners are other people, 
and not people like me and my friends. And that can get into the life of a church and it is devastating that the church becomes a club for good people and not a place for all people, all of us, recovering and, pr- and active to find hope and restoration in Jesus. That's what church is for. And so people will come. When we are friends with sinners, people will come and they will not look like us. They will not dress like us. They will not speak like us. They will not sit calmly. You all are beautiful today. They may be a different kind of people and friends. Let me tell you, this building does not exist for us to be a club. It exists as a place for us to welcome and shelter the people for whom Christ died. That's you, that's me, that's everyone in this community. And do you want to know evidence of that? Look up there at the cross. If you ever want to know how much Christ loves you, look at that cross. And remember it was there that Jesus gave his life. It was there that Jesus died for you and for me. And what does the scripture tell us? He died what? While we were yet sinners. Not when we cleaned ourselves up. Not when we made ourselves better. Not when we were just good enough to be accepted. But in the depth of our pain and our misery, Jesus comes down there and lifts us up. And friends, there is no one in this community and in this building and listening to my voice no matter where you are, there is nobody beyond the love of God. And that motivates us as a church. And friends, there will be enemies to that. Some within our own world, within our own faith, and so many beyond. I'm sure if you're like me, you were horrified by the murder of of Father Jacques Hamel in Normandy, France this week. And just to think about that, and literally, uh, practically beheaded in, in the middle of service. I want to know on one hand, you know, that we we have policies in place to hopefully prevent something like that in this church. But it may, but I'm telling you, we we live in a world where there are many who oppose the gospel. And I read something this week, there was an article, it's a fantastic article. And I was wondering, why did this happen? And he said this, this writer And he said, I don't know, Father Hamel, the content of his preaching, what he personally believed and taught his congregation, but I imagine the men who murdered him didn't know these things either. But what both killers and I know about Father Hamel is that he had a job to speak of Christ's forgiveness. His job was to tell people that they were at peace with their Father in heaven because Christ drowned their transgressions in his blood. Christians who believe God's love is a free gift look in fondness toward those who occupy the office that administers the gift. But those agents of ISIS who believe that God's forgiveness, favor, love, and kingdom, a perversion of their religion, must be earned through rigid obedience. See, men like Hamel is an arrogant thief who has raided the king's treasury and is handing out for free the bright shining rubies that can only be earned through a lifetime of service. Quite simply, God sent Father Hamel to forgive sins. 
And the agents of ISIS sent themselves to stop him. That is our world, friends. But the good news is that no matter what, the gates of hell will not prevail. That no matter what, God will get what God wants. And we know that in the person of Jesus who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. In a moment, we're going to come and celebrate Holy Communion. And when we come to the table, it's not just a ritual we do once a month. It's not even the first Sunday of the month. And we come, and what we do here is everything that we've just talked about this morning, we make it real at this table. That, that, that love of God to all people comes in the form of the bread representing His body broken for us on the cross. His blood shed for us on the cross. We come and we remember that Christ died for you and for me. And friends, all of us are invited. All of us are invited to the Gospel feast. Because Christ's desire is to bring you closer. Christ's desire is to meet you at this table. I like to give an invitation at the end of my sermons, and many of you have spoken about how much you appreciate that opportunity to reflect. And this morning we're going to have an invitation, and it's going to be to come to this table. To come and receive in a tangible way to know the love and grace of God at the point of your need. And we don't open the table because we don't know anything else. We open the table because Christ invites all. Because this table is not for saints to show off, but for all of us to receive the grace that we need. And so all are invited. And so this morning I invite you as we partake of this table, to come, to come and receive grace, to come to Jesus, friend of sinners. Let us pray.